This is the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's News. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Hello and welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm Laura Bellata, dating coach and founder of Single in the City. And I'm joined by my co-host tonight, philanthropist and media personality, the lovely Joan Kelly Walker. Hello, my dear. Hi, Laura. Hi. <laughs> we got a juicy uh, show for, in store for tonight. Um, we're going to be talking about legal stuff, um, the stuff that you need to know in love and relationships. Understanding the law when it comes to love can be tricky. And in this episode, we're going to talk about common legal issues in relationships. We'll cover things like keeping your personal info safe online and knowing when to get help from the police if things get tough at home. Our goal is to give you the knowledge to handle the ups and downs of love and family life with confidence. We'll share practical tips and advice from our guest tonight, our Toronto's very own infamous criminal defense lawyer, Calvin Barry. Hello, Calvin. Hi, Laura. And uh, hi, Joan. It's uh, great to be back on your show. Uh, thank you. And I just got out of court, so I'm all good to go now. We are missing you, that's for sure. We'll talk about staying safe when you're dating online and making sure your private stuff stays private in relationships. So whether you're single, in a relationship, or taking care of a family, this show is for you. So let's dive right in, shall we? Um, all right. So I just want to say, how's it going, Calvin? You've been good. I'm sure you've been keeping busy. Lots of stuff going on out there. Yes, I've been able to be up. I uh, got my cottage up in uh, Port Carling, which I'm trying to have uh, Joan and her uh, better half up and you up yet to the cottage. But I've been able to do a lot of court uh, appearances on Zoom because although we're out of COVID, the court system is still running on uh, about half Zoom. So that gives me a little bit of time to be with my lovely wife, Sophie. And uh, I got to go down to the office today to do some domestic assault trials and some DUI trials uh, further this week in, in person. Thank you for having me on the show again. You're welcome. So let's start off with uh, some of the most common legal issues that you've seen arise in dating and romantic relationships here in Canada, primarily. Let's start with that. Well, the uh, part of it is that, um, you know, things are evolving in terms of the law, and that includes people in relationships, uh, victims and accused, complainants and defendants. And a lot of times there's arguments, there's breakups, there's situations where people get, uh, you know, get, get heated and argue and threaten people in the presence of children. And there's a lot of law that applies to those things that I think a lot of people that are, you know, no prior record and never been in trouble before should uh, know how to navigate some of these things. So to circle back to the question, what are the issues? Like, uh, is it the relationship starts to fall apart and, and the breakup goes wrong or people just bring out bad traits in each other and then they find themselves in a situation that's really uncomfortable? Would that be one of the common legal issues? Yes, uh, Joan, and uh, one of them I've seen, and I, I don't know if it's the the water or COVID or the stress, but I think it's a combination of external stressors that have uh, really kind of reared their ugly head around March of 2020 with the advent of COVID. A lot of people were kind of, uh, you know, forced to be together when they otherwise would be at work and it caused certain tensions. And you kind of, you know, saw people who, for what they were sometimes, you see people at their lowest and, and their highest. And that led to a lot of domestic assaults. And, and, and for example, 
when these people break up and you have a, a relationship and either the guy or the girl, it's usually the guy, uh, he will start phoning incessantly and speed dialing and, and calling. And that annoyance can come to the level very quickly to a criminal code offense called criminal harassment, which is like a stalking type of offense. But you don't need to threaten somebody. You don't need corroborative evidence. It can just be calling the police and said, look at my cell phone. This guy's called me six, seven, eight times in the last hour, and I want him to stop. And the police can actually criminally charge you. Uh, that has been seen to be reasonable probable grounds to actually charge you with a criminal offense. And that uh, entails a bunch of other uh, unpleasanties uh, like fingerprints and photograph, getting a defense lawyer, going in Toronto, for example, to the armory courthouse, the super courthouse, which just got amalgamated in, 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 in May uh, of this year, uh, basically March, April, May. And it causes all kinds of problems that an accused person would have never anticipated uh, to happen in what they thought was a, a relationship that just went afoul. That's all. So this might be a really stupid question, but wouldn't the police first advise, like, have you blocked that person? That's a good point. Um, but they also do their own investigation. And sometimes unbeknownst to the victim, let's say the woman who has broken up with the accused, the man, and they'll find out that he's done this before. Of course, it's not the sexiest romantic thing to tell your partner that you've been involved with police behavior. And sometimes the police won't tell you immediately because they'll compromise their investigation and they want to see, uh, you know, if this guy has other occurrences out. That's one example. Another example is they might phone the accused and he might start yelling and screaming and swearing at the police. And that might be an addition of them thinking this guy's violent. If he's talking to somebody who's just trying to give them a caution, trying to, you know, suggest blocking the phone to the complainant and, and a charge could be laid that way. And I've seen that many, many times as a defense criminal lawyer. And I saw it many, many times, but not as much until COVID kind of took its, uh, you know, its toll on, on, on people's uh, psyches, so to speak. Joan? You know what? I want to talk about newer relationships now. So uh, we're in a new relationship. When and how should someone disclose their legal history to a romantic par partner? And uh, what legal and emotional considerations should they keep in mind? Like, I would say it's best uh, not to bring anything up too early. But you don't want to wait until you're deeply committed. But what would you say? What do you think? Well, um, I think that, you know, it's uh, a lot of subjective and objective uh, pieces here. You know, when you're out, um, you know, dating somebody, it, I guess, you, you know, you have to look at what your level of comfort is. And I mean, that's why a lot of people date in the first date. They won't do it at nighttime. They won't do it at a bar where there's alcohol. They'll go and have a, a, a coffee in a public place and just to kind of feel the situation out. If the person likes you, why wouldn't they do that? And, um, you know, I guess it depends how you meet. Do you meet on a dating app? Do you meet at a library? Do you meet up at a cottage country? Um, you know, uh, I think that when you start being too paranoid, it kind of breaks the romance, too. So you have to factor that in. On the other hand, you don't want to be a victim of a crime that some police officer or some, you know, defense counsel is going to tell you, you know, you should have made those inquiries. So it's a bit of a it, it's a bit of a fine line to walk, I suppose, without, uh, you know, dulling the romance part of a embryonic relationship. 
But how do you know what to inquire about? And I'm just thinking about this situation that I had. Like, I was dating this guy for about a year. He had to go to court for something. And the lawyer said, you know, it looks good on you now that you've had, you're in a stable relationship with a nice, respectable girl, seeing as this is your third DUI. So I didn't even know that he had two other DUIs and I was really blindsided and it, it was the end of the relationship for me. So he did not disclose at all. And he was just trying to get away without it. And if he hadn't been charged the third time, I never would have found out about it. So it was pretty devastating. So I say you've got to really, you know, you, you have to be honest. I think it's not fair to just not tell people. I think I agree. Yeah, I agree, Joan. And just in uh, parting uh, for this segment, I would say that, you know, you, you might have to ask those those sharp questions sooner than later, because it's long term gain for short term pain is probably the best way I can uh, elucidate it. Um, so we need to take a break, guys. And uh, when we come back, we're going to continue this discussion and so much more here on the uh, dating and relationship show on AM640 Toronto. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's news. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show on AM640. It's Sunday night. I'm your host, Laura Bellata, with Joan Kelly Walker. And guys, if you have a memorable dating story or a relationship milestone or anything that you want to share with us on air, we would want to hear from you. Call us on our studio line at 416-966-7280 and leave us a message. Um, tonight, we're chatting with criminal defense lawyer Calvin Barry, continuing our conversation on safety and legal protection in relationships. And Laura, you know, I can't help but think about how intertwined dating is with social media these days and it depends on the on the people involved but sometimes people right away they share their passwords so that people can get into their phone to make them feel more secure and develop trust but then if things start to fall apart how do individuals protect their online privacy especially in the context of dating and relationships so calvin i guess my question is are there legal steps that people can take to safeguard their social media accounts and the rest of their personal information uh yes there are there's great it people i mean uh, i use them at uh, our law firm and uh Part of the umbrella of my defending people is that we do things to, you know, uh, protect the complainants too. I was a Crown Attorney prosecutor uh, all through uh, law school as a Highway Traffic Act prosecutor. So I've been a prosecutor uh, for my 40 years as uh, going to the courts, about 22 years as a prosecutor. 30% of my practice is acting for complainants and victims. What we do for them. And sometimes they're men, sometimes they're women, sometimes they're same-sex partners. And, and, and all of people that are affected by this is you get the IT people to put up blocks, put up uh, firewalls, um, put get new uh, passwords and, and the like. And I have uh, great resources and a lot of retired police officers that I use, five or six of them from Toronto Police and from the RCMP and OPP will do this for a relatively reasonable amount, like, you know, 100 to $150 an hour for one or two hours to get all your protections immediately in play when you're being harassed or threatened by somebody that you thought was a good person. It turned out that the 
relationship uh, went afoul. Yeah. Also, guys, make sure that you have your two-step authentication on. Uh, so important. I mean, I somebody tries to hack me daily. Like I, <laughs> honestly, uh, and if I didn't have that on, I would have been hacked a million times by now. And then strong passwords. I use passwords. People use very typical passwords. I don't do that. I use passwords where it probably takes me about a minute to get in. <laughs> Different numbers, numbers, um, symbols. It's it's crazy. But hey, how often are you changing those passwords? All the time. I I spend all the time. Like this morning, I went into my Facebook. I had uh, account recovery, account recovery, maybe five times Uh, last week, uh, like all week. And I changed my password last week. And then this week again, it's starting. It's just it's constant. It's constant. What is account recovery that somebody's trying to hack in? Yes. Oh dear! So you get your you get a no- notification yeah. to email or your phone saying, "Hey, you know." And so if they had, so they actually figured out my password again. And then if they if I didn't have the two step on, then I would have been hacked. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, I have never. I don't think I've ever seen that on my account. Thank goodness. And let's just hope that that never happens. No. And, and also like clicking links. And I, I, I guess I was thinking about this yesterday. I, I wonder how many people get burned clicking links when they're drunk or they're high or whatever. <laughs> they're going through their emails. Right. And they're like, oh, I'll click on that. It looks legit. Because some of these emails look legit unless until you go into the address line. Who's sending you that email? So important. Exactly. And People must get hacked that way, like tons of people. So very dangerous online, guys. There's a, there's a wealth of uh, resource for, you know, genuine, competent, able, certified, regulated uh, private investigators that, like I say, are uh, relatively inexpensive that can always help you if you feel somebody is trying to, uh, you know, uh, hack into your your social media, your cell phones, your iPads and all that. And you can always get a free consult with these people too, and they'll give you a price. And I mean, it's money well spent for the, you know, harassment and stress that can cause you when, you know, a, a busy professional like you two, you don't need the grief, you know? And then uh, a lot of times it's worthwhile with a follow-up call, which the private investigator usually does to the police just to make a record of it. So one call from a cop a lot of time to an accused person will make all the difference. Hey, man, I see that this person's responding. This woman is a professional. She's not putting up with this. So I can't carry on like I did with the five uh, other uh, complainants I terrorized. You know, it's, it's just human nature that there's a deterrent there. And I find it very effective when I act for complainants that have to deal with this mm-hmm. nonsense. Yeah. Hmm. So, Calvin, what like if someone is in a relationship and it's going really well and, you know, it's looking like it might be long term. What legal considerations do you think that people should keep in mind when they're sharing sensitive data like financial information or medical records? Like, do you have any advice on that? Sometimes it doesn't hurt. Um, I mean, you know, it might not be binding, but just for the kind of uh, persuasive, probative, common sense approach. You can send guidelines. You can go, look, you know, I'm a high profile professional woman and I've got some concerns. I've had some history. I'm not saying you, but I'm going to send an email that I kind of drafted up with the, you know, with a contract lawyer of just a couple lines, really, you know, easy peasy about what I expect. And, 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 you know, that if things don't work out and I don't want uh, to, you know, get into a situation where you might just be busy yourself and think it was all right to go this 
pathway when when I, I you know I got certain expectations. For example, if you have children, uh, you want to make sure that they're protected in ways that make sense. I mean, sometimes you got a dude you're dating, and after two months, he starts hanging out and trying to pick up your kid from school to take them, you know, for a walk and go. Oh, I thought it was okay, even though I'm not seeing you, showing that I can go and you know take your kids out. Well, that can be very offensive, and you don't know the background of this person. I mean, stuff like that these days isn't that crazy. I mean, people get prenups all the time. People sign agreements when they are living together for more than three years when support obligations kick in by common law. So, you know, maybe that's the advent that we're, we're at now. That's all. Mm-hmm. Hey, Joan, I think our caller is on the line. Oh, good. Yes. So this is Frank. Frank had a question about the legal system. Hey, Frank. Yeah, hello. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. Welcome. What's your question? My question is, I was dating a woman and everything was going well. Um, So I thought we broke up and I called her like five or six times. She didn't call back. Then she called the police and they arrested me. My question is, uh, in the state of the law, should, should I have been arrested? Should they have arrested me? Well, you know, that, uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, uh, and it's uh, Calvin Berry speaking, and I was a former Crown and Defense Counsel. It has to do a lot with the background. For example, let's say that you had a terrible exchange with her a month before. There was yelling and, and swearing. It was a phone call. You hung up, then you text each other, and then you emailed. And if she supplied that to the police, that might be enough to tip the scales or reasonable probable grounds. You don't need a threat. You don't have to say, I'm going to kill you or I'm going to kill your children or I'm going to break your leg or I'm going to come over and, uh, you know, you know, smash, you know, smash your car up or whatever, or cause vandal or mischief. It could be enough that it's annoying and it's uh, a, a level of uh, criminal harassment. And they impute that by all the circumstances. So, you know, how would I defend this a lot differently by saying, you know, you had you're in love with this woman and you wanted to find out why and you didn't you know, threaten, but we'd have to try to make the charge go away then. Uh, so that might help you a little bit, Frank, with your question. But it's, uh, you know, it's best to, you know, always try to be a little bit more uh, standoffish uh, these days with uh, a, a situation like that. And it's because there's public interest, public policy, and in, in intimate partner relationships to for the police to take a very dim view and they'd rather have it nipped in the butt than have a situation where there's, you know, assault on a person in, in bodily harm or, or death kind of scenario. So I hope that helps a bit. Thank you. Yes, it does. Thanks for calling in, Frank. We need to take a break, guys. We've been having such a great discussion so far. Stay tuned as we continue our conversation with criminal lawyer Calvin Barry when we come back. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from singleinthecity.ca. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show on AM640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellotta with Joan Kelly Walker and our special guest, infamous criminal lawyer and our friend Calvin Barry. We're continuing our conversation on common legal issues in relationships in Canada. Yeah, yes. and... 
You know, it's interesting to me, and, you know, Frank called in and he had a good question about the legal system. It seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the legal system seems to be more responsive. And I'm referring to a situation that I was in a good number of years ago, a couple of decades ago, and Calvin, you were great helping me out with this. This was, I was being harassed and fully stalked and uh, threatened daily, daily, daily. It was, it was overwhelming and terrifying. And it took me, how long was it, Calvin? Probably like two years to even get anyone oh, yeah, it was terrible. To, yeah, to get any uh, response. Yes, it was, it was very difficult at the time. So I think the system is getting much better now in supporting victims. Um, would you say that? Like, has it, has it changed dramatically over the past 20 years? Oh, 100%. Uh, the, uh, since that time, actually, there's been designated courtrooms for domestic assault and, and criminal harassment and verbal threats and mischief, such that if you took somebody's cell phone and you were in a relationship and you took the cell phone and you threw it down and it wasn't yours and it was your girlfriend's you'd be charged with mischief they would put you into the domestic court and you have to do anger management and or alcohol management and maybe drug alcohol and anger management or uh, you know all of the above or one and they take it very very serious and they will not withdraw it like you might see a minor bar fight you know charge being withdrawn or a lower level road rage uh, being withdrawn or shoplifting they take it very serious there's directors by the attorney general to press hard on uh, domestic assaultive behavior and you know throwing somebody's property in the presence of the uh, person that's that's a level of, of of anger resentment violence and it's the next thing that you know the the, the the tale goes that next the next thing the person slapped you next thing the person's uh, choking you and there's studies to support that so that's an example that wasn't around when uh, Joan was going through her issues and there wasn't they, then they now have designated Toronto police officers at all 17 divisions that do nothing but domestic assault behavior which uncovers this very broad umbrella mm -hmm. so. and like you just said, like when Joan was going through her issues, I think the reason why I chose to be anonymous in that situation, because I wasn't any way associated with this person. This person seemed like they were obviously very mentally challenged. They seemed to think that there was a reality that wasn't there. So I didn't want to be associated with them in any way, shape or form, because I didn't even know them. I, I had been in a room with them once with a whole bunch of other people wow. and sort of glommed onto me. It was so bizarre. But are people still allowed to choose to be anonymous in these situations? Well, that's an excellent question. That's a debate that's been going nationally just so very recently where on uh, uh, domestic assaults and some sexual assaults when there's a ban on publication of the complainant's name. Um, a lot of victims now want to have that taken away. They, it's my right to go on social media and talk about my experience. I don't want to wait for three years until it goes to trial or whatever. I want to now uh, try to warn other people about this person. And, you know, then they say, well, what about the right to a fair trial? Well, that's balanced now because there's been legislation to the criminal code and provincial legislation that in, with intimate partners, 
This has to be uh, one where uh, in many crimes, the victim should have a lot of say and a lot of input and a lot of uh, appreciation to whether or not they want to go ahead, whether they want to talk about when they want to talk about it, because that's a form of therapy for a lot of complainants too, Joan. Mm-hmm. I guess if you were in an intimate relationship, it would be a much different situation. But if it's like, seriously, some strange lunatic that you have no association with, it just, it feels different. You know, this, this, 100%. Actually, this reminds me of something. So lately I've been hearing a lot about our catch and release justice system put in place by our current government and that it's not working for Canadians. Um, people involved in serious criminal activities, especially violent ones like violent offenders, they're being released on bail while awaiting trial. Uh, can you comment on this, please, and let us know what's going on with that? Well, they just finished a big uh, inquest and an inquiry into uh, you know somebody that was had a past of being violent to women, and it was unknown to the present person and there was homicides and just a terrible you know behavior and tragic consequences so they're putting a lot of checks and balances in uh and like i said the police um uh, at least in ontario they take it very very serious with domestic assault because believe it or not you know some guy coming up and just meeting a woman and assaulting her when they don't know each other or after a first date is very very rare the, the 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 ongoing serious victims and accused are people that are in a long lasting relationship and the police have said we're not gonna we're gonna have zero tolerance we're gonna arrest and if you breach your bail in terms of the catch and release that's been happening a lot in the gun sphere and the guns and gangs and drug sphere but if you look at the domestic assault uh it's been pretty stringent uh in present day with this government and with the criminal code and I know, and I'm acting for many people that are on stuff like uh, criminal harassment. If you breach your bail, if you contact the victim and say, I am sorry, I still love you, eh, the police come at you because now it's t- contemptuous defiance of court orders. And now you are victim, you know, now you're, you're, you're committing crimes in the face of the court. And they take that very serious. Now you have two issues to deal with, show that you're not that guy as a, you know, a domestic, you know, beater. Uh, of women and then you have to show that you have respect for the process respect for the courts and it's a front to justice you're really obstructing justice by contacting the person when you promised the judge you wouldn't when they let you out of jail so that should help a little bit uh yeah. laura well i guess it depends on the crime that you commit i guess but a bit of a case-by-case basis for sure yeah. and the background in the severity of the the assault the, the particular mm-hmm. one that's before the so, Calvin, how does the immigration status factor into domestic disputes? Because I think a lot of individuals might feel very vulnerable in their situation because of their immigration status. Are there legal protections available for those people? Yes, there's a lot of uh, services are available and the Crown Attorney has a long list of them. The police, every division in Toronto has a long list. For example, 52 division downtown, 53 division Young and Eglinton. 51 divisions down in Regent Park. They have great, great uh, facilities and support that are free and they don't involve, you know, having to get legal aid. See, a lot of victims and complainants that come from, uh, and a lot of times it's third world countries, they will date somebody who's a Canadian citizen and as a kind of extortive 
duress. They'll go, you know, you, you phone the police on me and I'm going to have you deported, which is furthest from the truth. Uh, you become a complainant in Canada, whether you're a refugee, a permanent resident, a landed immigrant, you get all this support, uh, whether or not you commit the crime in the States or in Japan or any other uh, uh, country. And and so I know this because part of my practice, like I said, because of my long tenure as a former senior crown attorney, I do victims and complainants, but I also do accused. And accused can have problems too, because if they do the most minor assault or criminal harassment, they can be deported if they're convicted. So I got to kind of embrace an immigration lawyer and and do kind of a two-tier attack to make sure we clean up their misdeed. So that's how immigration impacts on this very topic we're talking about today, uh, Joan and Laura. Can you touch on the process of obtaining a restraining order for someone who feels unsafe in their relationship? Yes, you go to the police and a lot of times you get a lawyer to go with you because you're a victim and a witness. And sometimes they have a relationship with the police. For example, I was a crown attorney. We don't need a lawyer, though. We don't. Like if I, You don't. You don't. Okay. Um, or what you can do is you can speak to a lawyer for you know, get a free confidential consult, which I give all the time, and then go and do it yourself. Um, and the police are very receptive to this. It's called a Section 810. There's also common law recognizance. And you can do that. If you're married, you can also get one in the family court or if you have a relationship of some permanence. And that can be concurrent to a criminal code peace bond, which is called a Section 810. Uh, and, and it's a very low test. You just have to have an apprehension of concern or fear against the accused. And, and the person doesn't have to do anything. It could be even short of criminal harassment. You definitely. An, yeah. So you're definitely an amazing lawyer and people need to check you out if they need a criminal lawyer um, in Toronto. Um, and also you service people outside of Toronto, I'm I'm sure. In the GTA. Yeah, I go all over Canada, but particularly Toronto and the GTA. Um, I'm actually okay. from Thunder Bay, Ontario, the Great White North, and I've done cases. I'm doing about <laughs> hey. There you go. See, <laughs> my Irish Northwestern heritage yeah. lies itself. So it's time, <laughs> it's, time, <laughs> it's time for us to take another quick break. Don't go anywhere, guys. We're going to be right back to talk about online dating safety and privacy. Listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca, Toronto's News. Today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show. It's Sunday night. You're listening to AM640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellata with Joan Kelly Walker. And uh, we're continuing our conversation with criminal defense lawyer Calvin Barry. So, Laura, I can't help but wonder because everybody's using dating apps. Calvin, mm -hmm. Are there any ways you suggest that people can protect themselves legally when using a dating app? Do they have to think about this before they meet someone online? Yeah, I, I think so. And I think that, you know, one thing you could do is when you meet somebody, you know, in a relatively open public place, I would suggest in the daytime and and, and just have a chat about what the parameters are. And you can, uh, you know, email something to the person from a safe uh uh, you know, line and 
and just put the parameters of, of what your expectation is. I mean, you know, for example, you might be dating a, a woman. It might be a police officer and, uh, you know, it might be a uh, somebody that works for CSIS. It might be somebody that, it, it, you know, has a, a, a company where there's certain, uh, you know, behavioral uh, parameters when you're out on your social life. And a lot of people are regulated by their professions. And why, why not just set some parameters straight into person's, you know, that much into just, you know, having a one night fling or something, I, you know, if you're into that, fine. But if you want something with more permanence, like I think we're trying to discuss on on, on this segment, I, I think you should set some parameters and, and and let it know. And it doesn't hurt to speak to uh, a police officer friend and, and see what's out there and how things work. And I, I think that would always be helpful uh, for you these days when, I mean, I, I just see something in the in the water. Like I said, a lot of people are kind of angry. They're uncertain. We got inflation. We had COVID. We got, you know, mortgage rates to worry about. And the whole institution of dating and the family is kind of taking a, a nouveau spin. And you got to be comfortable with when you continue with uh, people in a relationship. Because there's all kinds of reasons what that can happen mm -hmm. and cause you stress that you could undo if you go in with your eyes wide open. That's all. Yeah, and I would also suggest uh, using your gut, trusting it doesn't no. lie to us. And then don't hold back. Like if you want to research and verify someone, right, you meet somebody new, research them. There's nothing wrong with it. They're doing it to you. Everybody's doing it. So you just want to do a basic online search just to verify the information that they're giving you. Um, I found a guy once online and I researched him. He didn't give me, I didn't know his name, but I was able to piece together certain information that he had on his profile. And then I found out that he had frauded people out of like a million dollars or something, like maybe four families. It's like he was a home. Yeah. Kitchen renovator. I thought, okay, ghost. That's uh, yeah. Ghosting. I ghosted him. <laughs> wow. So let's say you met someone online and everything's going great. You want to move in together. Are there legal steps that a couple should take when they decide to move in together, but they're not married? Yes, there's common law agreements and they're relatively, I mean, you can even do them online, but there's great family lawyers that are reasonable. You can go and see them and go, this is a, how much money I have to spend and I want to have this done for this amount. And there's a lot of uh, people out there uh, that will uh, be able to give you a fair market value for that. And I don't think you have to spend a lot of money, it might be $1,000, $1,500 to put together a little agreement of what the parameters are. I mean, if you own a whole bunch of property and stuff, why take the chance of all of a sudden you get into three or four years of a relationship and a whole bunch of obligations under the Family Law Act and the, uh, kick in uh, and, and that sort of thing? And and if you got children and he's got kids, you got kids, you might want to have some conditions governing that. And and maybe it's what if we break up, I would rather you not have contact with the children. And there might be some good reasons for that. You know, some kids have. They, they got special learning abilities and, and the detachment would be, you know, according to the psychologist the, for the child might be draconian and, and, and that sort of thing. So I, I think it's healthy and it's normal to do that. But I mean, it's a case by case, uh, you know, check it out. And that's why a lot of people, when they meet people, they want to get a referral from, hey, why don't you meet my friend from my frat or why don't you meet my friend that I went to undergrad with? Because that gives you a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, a, a comfort zone. And, and that's how life is, right? But it's 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 hard to couch quarterback every situation. But these things, 
they're normal. It's like prenups and you know, they're normal. I got married and I didn't get a prenup, but I just, that's, that was my own choice. And everybody yelled and screamed at me and all my family lawyer buddies from law school. And I've been married nine years, knock on wood. And it, uh, it, it made it great for me because I wanted her to know that I, I was all in. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, maybe some people aren't in that, in, in that circumstance to do that. But if I had nothing, then I would have really been all in. <laughs> and the other thing, I don't know. Well, don't, <laughs> you can you can revise your prenup, like just because you have exactly. a prenup, you can't circle it's back like to will, it. Like a will, it can be a continual. Uh, but I wait. I heard thing. prenups don't always stand up in court. I heard that. That's right. That's they don't always stand up. They said that in a case about a month ago. That if you, I can, I'll get that to you, uh, Laura. It's interesting read. Yeah. Well, maybe we can discuss it when we have you back on the show in a few weeks. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Something to think about. I definitely would get a prenup regardless. Um, I, you know what? It, well, no, I guess it depends on the situation. But I would gladly sign one too. I would. Like your money is yeah, yours, yeah, mine's yeah. mine, whatever. I mean, I we, I wouldn't at this point have children with this person. So I'm, I'd be fair. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll give you one more closing note on that. When I was a senior crown attorney and I, you know, I owned a house and I, and I owned a uh, condo. But my point is, I was really in love with a woman. And uh, I tell my wife this story and I made her sign a prenup. And we had about the same assets. And that really took the romance out of Lance, I tell you. And it that was the end of a relationship, believe it or not. And I regretted that. And maybe it's that's a different why world, Calvin. It's a completely different world. I've been a minority once and I've been a dissenter once and I'll have to be one again on this one, Laura, but I hear you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you going to uh, do? Love's a funny thing. It is. It's a scary thing. It can be a scary yeah. thing too. Um, I know yes. I often, we use this term with friends, sleeping with the enemy. I hear this often as a matchmaker. I see people. Well, yeah. And as a matchmaker, you know, I, tend to, you know, um, see people that have, you know, doing it the second time, sometimes a third time. And they'll say, listen, I was married for 30 years. I had this one lady tell me I was married for 30 years and I don't know who this man is. Like, I don't even know who I was married to. Right. So, yeah, I don't yeah, know. My, my wife was married twice before, uh, uh Laura and, um, and shown, and, and she always says on her third marriage to me, I, I haven't been married before. She's goes. Uh, you watch it and behave, Calvin, because I'm on my drive for five. <laughs> Listen, I think it. marriage is a beautiful thing. I do think marriage is a beautiful thing if you find the right person. But that's the key is to do your due diligence, vet them properly and find the right person. Uh, but before we conclude, what are some key takeaways for our listeners regarding legal insights for relationships? Anything that I think be educated. I think it's good to understand the law. I think it's good to understand uh, the provincial law and the federal, and and make sure you have as much information if you want to get a relationship with some permanence. Because I just think it's a, a for the most part, except for the caveats I personally put forward, uh, and that's my own personal uh, biases. I, I think that you'll be a better person for it. You'll have a more fulfilled uh, long-term relationship if you do the checks and balances now, especially with the advent of social media and IT these days. Thank, thank, you. You. thank you so much. Um, thank you for tuning in, guys. We're going to have Calvin back in a few weeks. So don't worry. I mean, uh, this show was great, by the way. I just feel like every time I have you on the show, 
we just don't get to cover so much because you have so much to say. And it's all good stuff, of course. Um, now, if you guys need a well-seasoned criminal lawyer with a great track record, reach out to Calvin Barry. Where can people get a hold of you, Calvin? I'm at 113 Front Street East, southeast corner of Front and Jarvis, beside St. <laughs> Lawrence Market, 416-416-56-CROWN, C-R-O-W-N, or 416-562-7696, Laura. And it's Calvin Berry. And Joan, where can people get a hold of you? On Instagram is Joan Kelly Walker Official. That's K-E-L-L-E-Y. People forget the second E. Or online, it's joankellywalker.com. Thank you. And guys, if you have a dating story to share with us or a burning question or anything that you'd like to share on air, call our studio line. We want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 416, ready? 416-966-7280. And you might just appear on our show. And you can find me at official Laura Velotta on TikTok, Instagram. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Until next week, ciao for now.